Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings at the U.S. Naval Institute. Today is Tuesday, the 12th of September, 2023. Good to have you on board, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by Textron Systems Ship-to-Shore Connector, the SSC, the next-generation landing craft air cushion developed to provide advanced means to reach shorelines across the globe. Designed for a wide array of amphibious mission sets, the SSC offers increased payload capacity and speed with a service life of three decades for advanced performance and reliability. Learn more at textronsystems.com. Before we get to our guests, I just want to mention a couple of upcoming Naval Institute events this fall. we got a bunch of great things coming. So on 9 October, I've mentioned before, our 150th birthday. It's not often that uh, folks who get to work at an organization like the Naval Institute get to celebrate 150th birthday. We're going to do it in style on Monday, 9 October, which is to the date 150 years since the start of our uh, of the Institute. Uh, and there's going to be, believe it or not, uh, there's going to be fireworks at the uh, Naval Institute and at the Naval Academy. So that's a, that's an exciting part of the, uh, the birthday event. On the 25th of October, we have our event on critical thinking. So if you have the September issue of Proceedings, on the back cover is the advertisement for that event. Um, critical thinking, our greatest weapon to winning tomorrow's war. And this is going to be just an amazing event. It's co-sponsored with the Naval Academy. We've got some incredible speakers, including Trent Hone, the noted author who uh, has written a number of books for the Naval Institute Press. Uh, General Jim Mattis, former Secretary of Defense, is confirmed. Mr. Eric Schmidt, former um, co-founder and chairman, I'm sorry, former CEO and chairman of Google, is confirmed. Uh, Peter Singer is confirmed, and the Honorable Bob Work, uh, our chair and the former Deputy Secretary of Defense is also confirmed. And then looking forward a couple months on the 7th of December, we'll have Defense Forum Washington, our annual defense-focused event in downtown D.C. That's at the Spy Museum. Uh, so look for details at usni.org forward slash events on all of those events and other things that are coming up. Now to get to our guest. Joining us today from Bath, Maine, from uh, Bath Ironworks, so the General Dynamics Shipyards up there in Bath, is Lieutenant Nathan Sicheri, U.S. Navy. He's the author of an article in the September issue of Proceedings titled Redesign the SWO Junior Officer Pipeline. And if you have the print magazine, the article starts on pages 76 and 77. Nathan, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, sir, for having me. There we go. Okay, we got you. So we've had a few uh, connection problems. Apparently, the uh, uh, the ship wanted to uh, blacklist our Streamyard link, and then uh, the cell phone coverage in uh, at Bath Ironworks uh, isn't the greatest in the world. But it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for writing the article. Before we get started on questions, uh, just tell our viewers a bit about yourself. You're a surface warfare officer. Uh, what ship are you on now, uh, up there in Bath, and uh, how'd you get com your commission? Uh, yes, sir. So, Surface Warfare Officer commissioned out of Virginia Tech ROTC in 2019. Uh, I'm currently assigned to pre-commissioning unit John Basselin as the training officer, which has all of its own unique trials and tribulations because pre-com units are extremely unique uh, compared to what most people would expect of a training officer within a notional 36 months uh, optimized fleet readiness pipeline uh, plan system. 
Uh, yeah, before no, this, yeah. I was at Gunnery. Sorry, sir. No, I was, go ahead. Keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll ask my question after. Uh, and then before this, I was the gunnery officer, ordnance officer, and then the repair officer on board uh, USS Port Royal CG-73 out of Pearl Harbor. Got it. Oh, a cruiser guy out of Pearl Harbor. Tough living out there. Yeah, very nice. Uh, when is the John Basalone DDG-122, when is she scheduled to be commissioned? And when will you start, uh, you know, the um, uh, post-construction trials and all those kinds of things? Where is she in her building schedule? So we're still probably about the midway point, I'd say, sir. Right now, we're slated to sail out of Bath at the end of August of 2024, and then ultimately commission in October of 2024 in that time frame. So we still have a few more trials to go through. Uh, our Alpha Bravo and Charlie trials was part of that new construction timeline, shock testing, checking the engineering plan, the combat system suite. So we're about halfway through the, the overall build, sir. Got it. And, and how long have you been up there in Bath? I've been up in Bath since September of last year. Okay, so two years in the shipyard, and then you'll bring the ship to life about a year from now, and then head to Norfolk, or where is she going to be homeported? She's currently slated to be homeported in Mayport. Ah, uh, Mayport, okay, nice, nice, all right. Uh, how's, uh, how's morale in the shipyard? I think it's good, sir. Uh, part of the, one of the unique things about being a pre-com is the crew is split over two locations. So you will have one portion of the crew at a fleet concentration area, so Norfolk for us since we're a Atlantic fleet ship. And then uh, another portion of the crew, about a third, are currently up in Bath, which is where I'm at. Got it. And the, the and folks that are the folks in Norfolk, are they going through all their schools and getting their, you know, um, get, getting their training before they get to Bath? Or will they will they ever join you in Bath or will you just pick them up in Norfolk on the way to Mayport? How's that work? So Yes, they'll go through all of their initial uh, training pipeline, and then eventually there's uh, different phases as part of that pre-com. So phase four, which is when the entire crew gets together up in Maine, that's currently slated for March of next year. So that's when we anticipate having all of those 200-ish sailors, all PCS roughly the same time in March of next year in order to move aboard the ship in April. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, lots going on there, obviously. So let's get to your article for a couple minutes here. So like all articles about SWO training over the last, you know, maybe four or five years, yours begins with the deadly 2017 collisions of the USS Fitzgerald and the USS John S. McCain off of Japan back in, uh, you know, 2017. There were some investigations and a lot of reports after those accidents and some recommended course corrections for Navy surface warfare. What were some of the positive changes that came out of those events and, and what changes in your mind still need to be made? So I think there were two major changes that came out of the investigation. Was One was uh, investigating the op tempo of the fleet and also looking at the sleeping patterns of sailors assigned to operational ships. Uh, that's created the circadian rhythm. And then in regards to the admin uh, side, it was seen that there's a lot of administrative events or inspection events that need to occur. And the Navy looked at those that could be consolidated based upon uh, the ship timeline. Uh, an additional thing that occurred was the standing up of Mariner Skills Training Center out of Norfolk and San Diego. And I think that is probably one of those that have been under not underutilized. 
one of those things that hasn't been promoted nearly as much as I think it's worth. Uh, where I went through that as part of OD phase two, because they stood it up towards the end or about halfway through my uh, first tour. So the Mariner Skills Training Center, it's where all the Mariner skills are focused. So that would be stuff that affects those deck watch standards, our quartermaster watch standards, our bridge watch standards. And they designed a series of simulators and other training programs there. And they consolidated it all at one central location, which I think has really amplified the Mariner skills across the fleet. Got it. Well, I, I got to note that the uh, the cover of the September issue of Proceedings is uh, is one of those simulators at one of the Mariner Skills uh, uh, Training Center. I think this one's actually at uh, at Surface Warfare Officer School. But you you know mentioned the simulators. That's the cover cover photo for the uh, September issue. Um, so modern, uh, sorry, on the the um, the first page of your article, you mentioned a problem that others have discussed in our pages, and you you mentioned too many ensigns on board the surface ships these days. Talk about that for a minute, and and what was the immediate problem, and what secondary effects uh, does have having too many division officers tend to uh, create? So to, assigning too many ensigns aboard a ship, and what I mean by that is. Most ships are designed to take aboard about 12 to 16 JOs. I'm speaking from a DDG slash cruiser perspective. And when you increase the number of ensigns assigned to a ship, well, that will dilute the experience level because that means you're assigning two to three divos per division potentially in some cases, or you're assigning up to five people on a bridge team. When normally a bridge team would just be the conning officer, the junior officer of the deck, and the officer of the deck. So by diluting that experience across, you don't allow people to build a higher level of expertise. There's pros and cons to that, but I view it more as a con because there are those that would really like to focus on being proficient uh, watchstanders and be, being really proficient divos. But by potentially diluting that experience or dividing that experience across multiple people, that can pose the issue of diluting that experience and you're not able to really develop those skill sets with uh, certain personnel. Yeah, and, and I ultimately... I was going to say, I understand one of the reasons that the Navy's been, you know, stuffing more ensigns in, uh, you know, individual ships is trying to create more of those divos so that you'll have, you know, even if retention is a problem, you'll have enough that make, that stay on for department head and stay on for, you know, later on in their careers, right? So when you were on Port Royal, how many additional or, or maybe uh, uh, how many extra ensigns were there on on that ship? When I was on the Port Royal, we were pushing about 25 ensigns, and there were about five or six that were given jobs that were not, I, I don't want to say true divo jobs, but they were given jobs that aren't normally part of like a ship storm, um, whether that's like the assistant strike warfare officer or assigning three different divos to two different main spaces. Uh, so it, it did pose its there were benefits to that depending upon the situation, right? If, let's say if strike were super involved into strike warfare scenarios for the week, but other division stuff needed to be taken care of, well, they have an assisted divo. Got but it. it is also that uh, time management balance too that needs to be developed. Got it. Uh, uh, you know, on the other hand, if you've got extra JOs, is that, I'm, I'm guessing that that probably helps with the circadian rhythms and the sleep patterns. And, you know, it's you're a little less, maybe a little less harried as a JO than than if you were, you know, on a ship that had, you know, five or six less uh, or fewer officers. 
Yes, sir. And I would agree with that sentiment. I still think it's it's part of the cost benefit payoff that we we work uh, to look at seeing if is it worth it to have people less stressed or is it worth it to have uh, proficient and developed watch standards? Got it. Yeah, you're you're balancing that uh, the reps and sets of each individual with, you know, sort of spreading them out over a larger team. Yeah, I get it. So uh, because your, your your article is about redesigning SWO training, um, particularly for division officers, um, what's the current training path? How do you get to be a, you know, JO SWO and, you know, to go from your commissioning source, whether it's, you know, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, NROTC or the Naval Academy or wherever you come from school, and then you know you 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 go through a school, you get to your ship, um, you get the maritime uh, mariner skills training, et cetera. What's it look like for your first two years, maybe uh, maybe thirty months as a SWO? So as it stands right now, for your first thirty months, you would commission out of your session source, whether that's OCS, the Academy, ROTC. And you would potentially be stashed at your session source for a little bit, essentially as an, uh, an assistant to execute any admin. And then you would go off to basic division officer course, which is a 12-week school based out of either Newport, Norfolk, or San Diego at this time. And then you would either immediately go to OD phase one, which is a three-week course focused entirely upon mariner skills, or you would go off to your ship and then go back and report to that OD phase one. So ultimately that's about 17 weeks, uh, 12 weeks of VDOC and then another five weeks of OD phase one. So it's 17 weeks of training. And then once you're on board that ship, you're working ultimately towards your service warfare officer qual, your SWO pin as it's known. And the goal would be to have that SWO pin or you need to have that SWO pin before you leave your first command. And that SWO pin is the captain essentially signing off and saying this person has demonstrated all the prerequisite knowledge to be a professional warfighter, mariner, and leader. Got it. And uh, at what point do you leave your first ship? Is that 30 months? Is that nominally about 30 months? And then you go straight to another ship? Yes, sir. So right now it is 30 months. Uh, PER has recently announced a single longer tour option. So now if you have a certain number of officer of the deck underway qualified hours, you can request PERS to have you do one single longer 36 month tour. And then you would have a three to four year short tour before uh, fleeting up at department head school up in Newport, sir. Got it, okay. Um, and so what are some of the problems that you and perhaps your peers see in the pipeline as it exists now? There are two key problems that I see as well as uh, some of those that I've anecdotally talked to. Uh, one of the issues that I perceive is when you attend basic division officer course, you get a VDOC completion letter that says all these line items within the personal qualification standards, PQSs that are required to get your SWO pin are signed off. It's uh, systems and fundamentals of those PQSs, 100s and 200s. Not all of them are signed off, but the overwhelming majority. I think by having that letter and saying these are completed based upon the completion of this curriculum, it disenfranchises the purpose of the personnel qualification standard so that people don't actually go back and try to learn the fundamentals post VDOC. We just care more about getting those watch standings, reps, and sets done without understanding those basic backbones. I think that's almost what VDOC does. It's very ship-to-ship -ship culture dependent, I know. Uh, the first half of my tour, it was very much like that. The second half of my first tour, it 
had a few people talk to me about what PQSs actually do and mentored me a little bit to assist me in qualifying and really made me understand uh, how PQSs are supposed to be completed. Got it. Okay. Um, so one of your recommendations is for more centralized training. Uh, so you said right now BDOC is in three places. It's at Newport Surface Warfare Officer Schools Command, right? It's in Norfolk and in San Diego. So where would you centralize it and, and why would it be better if it was just in one place? So I would centralize it in Newport, sir, and that's because we already centralized our department head training pipeline, our PCO and our PXO pipeline are all primarily focused out of Newport. It, to me, it makes sense that if we're going to have such a heavy slow training emphasis in Newport for our senior officers, let's make our junior officers join them. Because that by centralizing it, you also can help reinforce that culture and really allow the curriculum to expand dynamically based upon the need. So part of the problem with having a disjointed, uh, decentralized training pipeline or training locations is that the instructors are inherently going to be different depending on where you're at. And anyone that has been in a classroom setting can really attest to those personal relationships you build student to instructor really do affect the quality out, quality of training, the outcome, the information learned. So not to say that one of those current centers for BDOC, OD phase one, two, or advanced division officer course, not to say any of those are lacking in skilled trainers, but by centralizing it in one location, you do know that someone who's gone through this course has the exact same level of training as someone who's gone through the course because they're in the same location. Vice right now, I've seen it and some of my peers have seen it where someone that goes to BDOC in Norfolk and BDOC in San Diego will have a completely different knowledge baseline coming out of it. A completely different baseline. That's that's significant to say that, you know, because I mean, it's it's hard for uh, across any school, you're you're always you know, if you, let's say you have 500 students, right? You, you know, you, they're not all going to have the exact same instructors, even if you're all in one place. Uh, you know, different instructors were, are some are better, some are worse, some are you know are more proficient in one thing or another thing. But but if you're seeing in the fleet, you know, folks that come out of one school versus another, just a, a very different baseline. That that's an interesting point. I suppose by saying completely a bit hyperbolic there, so my apologies. Okay. Um, but there, there will be a different baseline uh, depending upon the subject matter, right? So currently how BDOC is designed is you go through a series of modules to focus on different mission areas uh, or different focuses aboard the ship. So like engineering programs, maritime warfare programs, admin, DIVO 101, et cetera. And I've talked to a few people that it's very different, their, under, their engineering understanding and whether that was personal aptitude or just location difference, I can't really determine that. So I'm just working off the information that I've I've seen, sir. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, you also recommend in your article extending the training pipeline. And why is it needed to extend it? And tell us how you would extend it. And how would the Navy, you know, any thoughts on how the Navy would pay for um, longer training? And I, and I will highlight the fact that you know, if you if you went back before the Fitzgerald and McCain and and in the you know the early maybe 10 years ago, right? There, there was a period where we didn't even have BDOC, the Basic Division Officer course, and there was that that was noted in a lot of those uh, after action reports from Fitz and McCain was the fact that the Navy went through a period where it, you know, notably you know sent uh, officers a, a collection of of CD-ROMs 
and that they were expected to do the training, you know, kind of the, the basic division officer course, almost uh, OJT and, and on their own time. So they brought back VDOC, um, but you're saying it, it should be even longer. So talk about that for a minute. So I think it should be longer because as it stands right now, VDOC is taught through those series of modules. And the way it's taught is it's a fire hose of PowerPoint, essentially, where, hey, here's a bunch of information. Learn this information at the end of this module. We'll have a test, and then there will be a final exam that takes all of those modules that you've learned and combines them all into that final test. But because you piecemeal and almost divvy up explicitly like those sections. So let's say the first week you cover Mariner, maritime warfare. The second week you cover engineering. The third week you cover Devo 101. It, those skills are not strictly related to each other. You don't build upon those. You can't take a lot of your Devo 101 and assign it to engineering. So by extending it, you can constantly reinforce those learning, uh, those materials. And in the article, I, I do recommend an almost high school or college-esque method where it would be uh, block scheduling, so 90-minute sessions. That way you would have a sustained period of time where you're covering maritime warfare and you can build upon what you learned the previous week and the week before that and the week before that. And I propose an eight to 12 months just because the longer it's, information is shown with uh, adult learning that the longer that you are exposed to information, the better your attention will be. And also by giving that, that time, that eight to 12 months, it allows you to really get into the material, really become an ex, not necessarily an expert, but to get ready to build that expertise once you uh, go out to the fleet. Okay, all right. Um, and your last big recommendation in the article is about specialization during the second tour. Uh, so you're right now, you're, you, you said your first tour was on USS Port Royal, a cruiser out of Hawaii. Your second tour now, you're on the Barcelona Precom destroyer. Um, Talk about what that what's what specialization would look and how is that different than you know what's going on in the fleet today? So there, the uh, concept of career specialization in the SWO community has been thrown up a bit. Uh, I I tend to agree with those that say there should be roughly three training tracks: a combat focused track, an engineering focused track, and an operations slash navigation focused track. And that's because I think those are three core competencies that are really apparent when you're actually on board a ship and actually operating as part of that ship is those are all three very different skill sets to manage. Uh, so for instance, when I started my first tour as a gunnery and ordnance officer, I was heavy into the combat realm. I had to know the social safety program. I was in combat, standing combat watches, uh, getting really familiar with the combat capabilities and limitations. But then the second half of my tour, I was assigned as the repair officer completely different skill set because then I had to be really into the engineering plan and understand what the engineering plan uh, was doing, all the different programs that come into managing that engineering plan. While those core skills of just being a manager and leader do apply, the knowledge bases were vastly different. And there, there's pros and cons to that because as you get more senior, you want to have that higher level of understanding of things that you're not necessarily going to be in charge of but also it, it creates issues where you as a, if, if you were more specialized and you go further along in your career, you would become more familiar with what right looks like. Whereas if you keep shuffling around managerial leadership wise, you would know when something doesn't seem right. But 
actually having that expertise and that knowledge of what right materially and administratively looks like within those programs becomes a bit more difficult. Got it. You know, it's interesting. This is one of many articles over the years that have been in proceedings that that talk about this idea of specialization. There are, you know, the U.S. Navy is uh, is a bit unique in that uh, officers have to be sort of jacks of all trades across the surface uh, force. And so, uh, you know, as you note, you're, you're just your experience on Port Royal, you were in multiple different uh, departments in the ship and required very different uh, baseline level of knowledge. Uh, other navies, uh, I will point out notably the Royal Navy and the uh, the Indian Navy are two that I, I have uh, uh, colleagues and friends who served in both where uh, they're much more specialized, right? There are, uh, you know, deck or uh, navigation officers who serve their entire careers, um, you know, basically from the combat systems or the navigation perspective of the ship. And then there's those that are engineers that are experts on the plant. Uh, and how the ship goes through the water. And, and the two never, you know, it's like, uh, um, you know, those those two paths never merge and the commanding officers of ships are always from, you know, the, the warfare navigation side of things and not the engineering side. Um, our Navy has chosen, uh, you know, consistently not to do that. But from time to time, we publish things in proceedings where people say, yeah, it's probably time because ships have gotten more and more, more you know, more and more complex. And I think you're, you're pointing that out as well. I'm curious, what kind of feedback have you gotten on the article? Uh, nothing directly. Just talking to a few of my peers I work with and a couple of other uh, senior officers that I've interacted with personally. Uh, so nothing that I've received yet. Okay. All right. What What about your, uh, you know, conversations with your department heads or your CEOs on uh, on your current ship or or previous ships? Uh, so those that I've talked to from previous ships, they understand where the the article is coming from. They do think I go a little too far sometimes in portions of the article between the length of the training pipeline that I recommend, as well as uh, the last section of the article talking about uh, the SWOPE qualification pin process where specifically I say there should be a, a command qualification exam, mini, if you would, light version for those attempting to get their spoke in. And that's just because they, they've talked to captains and XOs that take a lot of pride in the fact that they can award the JOs that they've trained their spokens. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's interesting. When we discussed your article at the editorial board meeting, I believe it was either the May or the June meeting, the conversation, including, you know, the um, one of our ed board members who was just on the show earlier or, or late last week, Commander Devere Crooks, he was the, the head of the PCO course at Newport until very recently. Um, and, and he was all in favor of publishing this. And he said, I don't know if I don't know how many of these recommendations from this GAO are doable, but it's a conversation we should have, right? We should always be talking about, you know, do we have it right? Are there ways to improve the the pipeline? Um, are there ways that we should tweak it? You know, and getting the GAO insights and perspectives is always a good thing. And then, you know, let's have the conversation. Which of these ideas are are the best ideas? Which ones are implementable? Should we implement them, et cetera? Um, so that was the, the conversation that we had at the uh, editorial board about your piece. Uh, and as you know, always, I, I invite others uh, to 
provide input to comment discussion. So that's our letters to the editor. So if you've read this piece or listened to this conversation, uh, shoot us an email at comment and discussion at usni.org. Uh, and we'll publish that letter on uh, Lieutenant Sicheri's uh, article. Um, but it would be great to have this conversation continue. I, I, it's one that sort of started in earnest uh, after the 2017 uh, you know, accidents, collisions, and has been ongoing. And um, you know, this is just uh, an, another part of that. It's great to have your input. So uh, Nathan, we're about out of time, but uh, before we sign off, uh, any saved rounds? No, sir. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for writing for Proceedings. Thanks for having the guts to put your ideas on uh, on paper, and we look forward to having you write for us again. Um, my guest has been Lieutenant Nathan Sicheri, U.S. Navy. His article in the September issue of Proceedings is titled Redesign the SWO Junior Officer Pipeline. Uh, Nathan, thanks for writing for Proceedings and being on the show today. Thank you. All right. This episode of the Proceedings Podcast was brought to you by Textron Systems Ship-to-Shore Connector, the next-generation landing craft air cushion developed to provide advanced means to reach shorelines across the globe, designed for a wide array of amphibious mission sets. The SSC offers increased payload capacity and speed with a service life of three decades for advanced performance and reliability. Learn more at textronsystems.com. And until next week, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.